Good evening, fam. You're tuned in to Step in the Arena, a brand new podcast on the Cruise Control Podcast Network. I'm Bobby C., joined by Edgar Burgos. Ed, how you doing, my man? My man, Bobby C., the voice of New York, the Mark Albert of Street of the streets. Yeah, I don't know if the kids today even know who Marlboro Albert is, man. <laughs> how, you been? how you been doing? I'm doing okay. Happy New Year. Surviving, uh, surviving here at home and excited to do this uh, brand new podcast with you. And uh, honestly, Ed, I, I really think that the world might be coming to an end because uh, the New York Mets are making moves and the Knicks are fifth in the East. Let me tell you something. I, uh, You know, me and super producer Randy Cruz have been talking and we fight all the time. But I did say the hiring of Tom Thibodeau will make a difference. I was happy when um, when they hired Leon Rose last year. I've told my friends that. I was happy when he brought on Wes. And I said, those two, as long as they're able to do their job, because there's higher-ups sometimes that kind of mess things up. We ain't going to say his name, but if they're able to do their job, they're going to be fine. Absolutely, Ed. I mean, the Knicks are 5-3. and three. They've won three straight, five in their last six games. I know the fans at home got to be super excited about the play of Austin Rivers. And uh, I think only more good things to come for the Knicks because Obi Toppin is, is, of course, out right now and should be back soon. I think he'll be a nice player for them. Knicks making moves today, too, Ed, with uh, the, the re-signing of Taj Gibson. So we'll see if uh, he gets reunited with a coach that he's very familiar with. I think he'll be a good addition of veteran presence for this team. No, nah, Taj is a great pickup. I know they're going to uh, they're releasing Omari Spellman, but, you know, Taj is a vet. He's a great locker room guy. Um He's perfect. Obviously, he's been with uh, with Tibbs for a very long time, you know, Chicago and Minnesota. And now they're reuniting in New York. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy that, you know, that Taj is back in the league. And I think this is only going to make the Knicks a little bit better. You know, Ed, you got to love, too. I mean, you bring up Rivers. You know, I mean, watching that game the other night, they're down 18 in the first half. Of course, he, you know, finishes with 23 points for the night, 14 consecutive points in the fourth quarter. And uh, earlier in the day, I think a lot of the fans at home had to be laughing about his Instagram post with his girlfriend, you know, pretty upset about him working out on his off days. But he's been putting in the work. And right now, you know, Austin Rivers and the Knicks have really been like a perfect pair so far uh, since him coming back from being out. Yeah, so the, I, you know, it's crazy with Austin. Like, uh, the credit goes to, obviously, uh, you know, he, his dad played with the Knicks, um, actually went to the finals. Uh, you know, at, well, he didn't go to the finals, but he was on that 93 team, and then he had the ACL injury. But, you know, his dad telling him mm-hmm. that, you know, the Knicks is a good place to play. And for the Knicks, only signing him for a three-year, $10 million deal. I mean, the guy's playing well above his pay rate. Well, I mean, you know, Ed, I mean, he's played on five teams. He came out in the press conference and he said that, you know, this is not a bad team. He's played on some bad NBA teams. He said this is not one of them. So I'm sure Nick fans got to be excited about just uh, his loyalty so far to the franchise and making that move to decide to come here because that's kind of been the problem for the Knicks in the last several years. I mean, trying to lure uh, the star free agents and even Tibbs kind of saying that the Knicks are still looking for probably that guy. They've got a nice young core that they're putting together right now. And Rivers, of course, I think is a nice veteran presence as well. We'll see if Gibson's got anything left. But uh, again, you know, Rivers to me in these last three games, he has delivered time in and time out, been very clutch in these last three games for the Knicks. No, uh, Rivers, great pickup. Um, quickly, 
has stepped up as a rookie. Um, quivers, man, Quivers. Uh, quiver. I, well, he doesn't like that name, uh, Austin Rivers. He doesn't like that name. So I'm not going to call it Quivers because he doesn't like it. But, uh, you know, Rivers stepping up. Uh, but Julius Randle. Absolutely, man. You know, all-star right now. He's playing like an all-star. He's playing the best he has in his whole career. I don't know who you give credit to for that. Well, I mean, I think a lot of it is probably the – mindset right now uh, in terms of of kind of working hard on the defensive end and rebounding the basketball. I mean, coaches kind of talked about how important it is to play, you know, those aspects of the game, and it tends to lend itself to the offensive end of the floor. And, you know, and again, right now, Randall, you know, the past uh, four games with uh, 25 points, 10 rebounds, most by a Knicks player and the team's, uh, you know, in terms of averages, first eight games since uh, our friend, Hall of Famer, Patrick Ewing. I think that's pretty good company for Julius Randall. No, ma major company. I just hope uh, he continues to play the same way, you know, the rest of the season. And um, I'm definitely curious to see how Obi Topin's going to play, uh, you know, when he does come back. He was, you know, he, he had a couple of games in before before he injured himself. So, I, it, you know, we want to see his progress. Obviously, with the Knicks winning, there's not too much talk about, you know, Obi being out. But eventually, you, you're going to want to hear, you know, you're going to want to see him play. Well, we got a great show for our fans tonight. For our first uh, first show, we'll talk to Hoops Hype uh, writer Mike Scotto. We've also got Anthony Donahue uh, joining us later in the evening from the 33rd and 7th podcast and, of course, from the Orange and Blue crew. And we've got Mike on the line with us now. Mike, how's it going? What's up, fellas? Great to be on with you. How are you both? My favorite, Scotto. I love this guy. Uh, let me tell you something. I freaking met Mike Scotto. Dang, it has to be more than 10 years ago. Right, yeah, is it, it's, 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 it's got a young guy who wanted to be a writer, and mm -hmm. uh, I think we were introduced by Anthony, right? Anthony Donahue. And the funny thing was at that oh, yeah. time, when, when yeah. the first time I started coming in there, um, geez, I think I was still a teenager. Nah, I probably just was getting out of college at that point at Hofstra. And I remember the first time I went in, they said, if you had any trouble getting in at the door, picking up your credential, just tell him you Frank I sold his nephew, you know, I'll let you right in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so it's funny because right before that, you know, me and Scott, Scott, o, I remember him. We sat down. He told me he wanted to be a writer, and that was his dream. And um, we became cool after that. I was like, "Yo, I get you in the locker room. I can hook you up a couple of times." And next thing I know, this guy's been writing all over the place. It's been ten. This is my tenth season now, brother. It's been wow. so new, right? Yeah, I'm proud of you, man. So you know, been, he wrote for the Knicks, wrote for the, you know for the Nets, and. Now he's uh, at hoops height. Hey, man, just trying to make it every day, one day at a time. That's all. But definitely been a fun ride. And, you know, I still got the old credentials from back when, the the heart of God. I, I remember those. <laughs> I still got them. Never forget. Never forget. You didn't forget where you started. Never. What's up, Bobby? How you doing, brother? I'm doing good. You know, we opened up the show, Mike, talking a lot of Knicks basketball. We were hoping to get a chance to chat a little bit about the Brooklyn Nets with you. I mean, uh, final score tonight, too, just uh, going final. So they do advance to be 5-4, and 122-109, the final over the Sixers. That's a big win for the Nets, considering all the injuries uh, tonight and the fact that the Sixers came into the game tops in the East at 7-1. and one. Yeah, no Kyrie, no KD. Um it, speaks to the core, the rest of the guys that they do have, you know, Karis LeVert shown in the bubble what the guy can do when he has the ball in his hands. Um, so it's a great sign for him trying to get out of a little bit of an early season slump. And Jared Allen has looked great. You know, I remember when Ed Davis was with the Nets, 
he always said that he thought Jared Allen was going to be a $100 million man. Well, it's coming up on contract time now, and they didn't get a, an extension done. So, you know, it's kind of like a Jerry Maguire. Show me the money, baby. Absolutely. I mean, he actually had, um, I think it was 10 rebounds in the first 12 minutes of the game tonight in the first half. So definitely uh, cleaning up on the boards and, you know, that's getting some good performances from some of their other role players too. Joe Harris uh, finding a shooting groove early in the first half. And uh, I think Jeff Green too deserves a little bit of a nod tonight as well. Yeah. I mean, Je Jeff's a versatile guy, you know, in today's NBA, this guy could play to five, you know, um, you know, like, like Edgar was saying back in the day when I started Jeff Green at the five, this guy would have got killed, but it's a new era, new small ball era in the league. And, um, He's, he's proven to be a versatile guy. And, uh, and you mentioned Joe Harris. Sure, he looks like uh, the guy in, in Dodgeball, the movie right now with the headband and the long hair. But he's always been uh, an incredible shooter. And, to me, you know, you talk about people's journeys. You know, Joe uh, and Spencer Dimity, the way these guys resurrected their career, they were both nearly out of the league by the time they joined the Nets. And, you know, especially Joe, I remember coming off the injuries in Cleveland and he got cut in Orlando. It just uh, – to really find a home here and then get the bag, uh, you know, this offseason. I was thrilled for him. He's a great guy, just as great of a guy as he is a shooter in this league. And, uh, you know, he's going to be pivotal for them and their success this year. What do you think about the um, two things, the job that Sean Marks has done since he's taken over, you know, as the general manager, president the last, you know, couple for the past few seasons, and the job that Steve Nash has done nine games in? You know, when I look at Sean Marks' tenure, I think, uh, it, obviously, look, anytime you get Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, that that's a home run. It's like a grand slam for them. I don't think many people would have thought that for the Nets when he first took over the job. Um, you know, in the beginning when he sent out a lot of those offer sheets to Alan Crabb, Tyler Johnson, he ended up getting two of them eventually. Um you know, Tyler on a minimum later on, but it would have been interesting to see what would have happened if those offer sheets weren't matched. But, uh, you know, he's done great, uh, a really great job overall. Um, and then you look at, uh, you mentioned Steve Nash. Steve, I think, is feeling his way uh, out right now. But, you know, having Mike D'Antoni on the bench, one of the most brilliant offensive minds there is going to help. You know, Jock Vaughn uh, had a great rapport with Kyrie Irving and, um, Karis Levert from last year, you'd always see them working together on the court. I think that helps. Um, he's got a lot of experienced guys. He made Yudoka on that staff. Um, and, and those guys, you know, Durant and Kyrie, they've both been to the highest level. They know what it takes to win. So uh, I think that that's going to help them tremendously. And um, I'm excited to see what, what happens for them, certainly. Are you go ahead, Bobby? No, I was just going to say, Mike. You know, I mean, obviously tonight Kyrie out for personal reasons, and uh, Kevin Durant with the uh, with the quarantine, he'll be coming back from that soon. And you mentioned Spencer Dinwiddie, how big of a loss that is for the Nets this season. Uh, you know, probably will be out the entire the season-ending injury, but could be back maybe late uh, late in the year uh, potentially for the playoffs. But do you think this is going to be something that the Nets might have to contend with throughout the season? I mean, I know this is not an injury for Durant. And again, these, uh, you know, maybe off the court issues might not be something that affects the uh, physical health of Kyrie. But could this be something that lingers for the Nets? Uh, you know what? I think for everybody in the league, aside from injuries, you're, you're talking about the whole COVID protocols. And it, it just seems like when one guy on the team gets it, it's going to have a trickle down effect because uh, somebody's going to come into contact with the guy. 
And I think that's going to be one of the biggest challenges for the league. Yeah, sure. We've seen some injuries, you know, with uh, the different schedules so far for the season, but I think everybody's going to get it. When I look at the Nets in particular, um, you know, losing Spencer Hurts, it was interesting though, because when he was in the starting lineup, I didn't know if it necessarily clicked in terms of his personal numbers, but I felt like him being another ball handler helped. Um, so, you know, that's going to be a different element they, that they have to account for. Um, but overall, you know, the biggest thing in speaking to some executives when he went down was at the end of the day, if Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant are healthy, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Uh, you can you can replace. It's hard to replace a Spencer Dinwiddie, who was a guy that was when he started. He was a borderline All Star last year to some people. Um, so it is hard to replace him. But ultimately, if you've got y- your two core franchise pillars in Durant and Irving on the court, you've got a great shot to win any single night. Those guys, uh, you know, they in my opinion, they're easily top ten in the MVP conversation early to start the season with the stats that they've put up so far. Now, I know Durant's uh, going to miss some time, but just just their level of play has been sensational, especially Kevin, who uh, has missed so much time. It's like the guy never missed a beat, and he hasn't picked up a basketball in, in like a year and a half. It's phenomenal. So, I actually got a comment, too, in the, uh, in the chat asking about how many games that you would expect uh, both KD and Kyrie to play together. Uh, together? Um. 72. Let's go with uh, somewhere between 55 to 60. Okay, together. And then I guess, you know, for the most part, you would think that they're going to be on the floor then throughout the season. Yeah. And I mean, look, you know, Durant's obviously uh, with the COVID protocol stuff, it's a little tough right now. But ideally, like they they both want to play. Now, granted, I know Kyrie uh, missed the game against the Sixers for personal reasons, but um, they both know what's at stake this season and trying to get this team to the championship. It's their goal. So I do expect them to be out there as much as possible. They got to develop that chemistry. So it doesn't just happen overnight. And I know sometimes they miss some of the, the back to backs, but I think eventually they're going to try to get them in there. You know, you see the same thing with Philly with Joel Embiid. At some point your stars have to play. And even now with Kawhi Leonard with the Los Angeles Clippers. I, I was going to say one of the guys you really haven't mentioned yet is uh, the rise of Karis LeVert. And um, are you happy that the Nets stayed with Karis LeVert and not use him as trade bait? And like they were talking about that whole James Harden thing earlier, or do you mm-hmm. think they're going to maybe revisit that later on down the season? I'll say this. The second Spencer Dinwiddie went down, I thought that really hurt any chances that I'm getting Harden. And, you know, if you talk to anybody around the league, that package wasn't going to be necessarily enough. It's a lot different than if Philadelphia offered Ben Simmons. You know, Ben Simmons is a proven young, all-star caliber guy and a unique player. Um, while a lot of people around the league like Karis LeVert, I do think some people are higher on him than others. And in Houston, I didn't necessarily get the sense that that was going to be the guy that moved the needle. And that's why you would see reports out there about them trying to get a third team uh, to help make it happen if they were going to get James Harden. Um, in terms of the Nets, you know, look, there's two thought processes. One, I would say that I think having Levert off the bench in that Manu Ginobili role that Steve Nash talks about and, and having, you know, previously when they thought they were going to have Dinwiddie and Jared Allen, um, it's huge for them. 
you know, if you were getting Harden, Kyrie, and Durant, yeah, that's an amazing trio. But then you're going to need to essentially bet on the buyout market to try and fill out those guys, the rest of that roster by the end of the season to make a run at a title. Um, with Jared Allen, the way he's played right now, um, he's their starter right now. Uh, you can't overlook that. And this guy's motivated more than ever before to get a bag this summer when it comes to his money. So I expect him to have the best year of his career. And, and Karras is going to find his way too. You need him now just as much as any time because when you had Dinwiddie, you had that insurance policy if Kyrie went out. Now you've got Karras who can play the one. He can play point guard and, and, and make guys better. He, he thrives with high pick and rolls with Jared Allen and DeAndre Jordan. So, yeah, sure, you'd love to get James Harden, but um, ultimately, like, I, I think they got to give it a chance to see what can happen. And already you're, uh, you're already not fully sure what it would have been because Spencer Dinwiddie could potentially miss the season. You don't, you don't, we don't know that for sure, but you would expect it's going to be tough for him to get back um, at this point given his injury with the ACL. You know, Mike, are you more surprised that the Nets decided to uh, debut a retro court that pays respect to the New Jersey Nets or the fact that outside the Barclays Center tonight you had demonstrations over what went on yesterday at the Capitol, which, you know, of course, is pretty shocking news around America. I mean, I guess we're picking up on Bizarro World from 2020 just a few days into 2021. Oh, yeah, but at the same time, you know, Barclays Center has become uh... – a landmark in a sense for protesting. We've seen it all throughout 2020. It, it, it didn't surprise me at all, um, to, you know, to see them out there. Um, I'm sorry. I forgot the first part of that question. So just uh, joking around, of course, about the uh, retro court uh, night. It ended up actually playing, I guess, well into the hands for I, the night because the victory tonight, but paying homage to uh, Derek Coleman and those early nineties yeah. uh, Nets teams at the Meadowlands. I like those jerseys. It was like going uh, to the uh, Italian ISIS place and getting a rainbow cone or something with the red, white, and blue. I, I, I like those jerseys. They're pretty cool. The, you know, for the Nets, they've always had the, you know, the black and the white and the gray, and it's, it's okay. But, you know, when the Nets had the kid, RJ, uh, Richard Jefferson teams, and they had the red jerseys, I thought those were cool. Something, something different, something that pops. And I like these jerseys, too, with these, like, kind of glacial or glacial – Glacier kind of blue and the red, white, and blue. I, I like it. Different change of pace and obviously throw some homage to uh, Derek Coleman, Drazen Petrovic, and uh, Kenny Anderson those days. Uh, I want to ask you a question as um, a writer for Hoop Type and somebody who usually goes into arena, as, as Bob did um, during the season, how yeah. difficult is it now for you to do your job, you know, now that you can't go to the arenas and you have to pretty much pay attention to post-game stuff via Zoom? You know, I miss it a lot for a lot of reasons. Number one, um, you know, I, I can't speak for every rider, but my usual routine was I would try to get there as early onto the court as possible. And that was a, just a great time to speak with executives, coaches, players, you know, kind of the calm before the storm before a game is the best time to talk with some guys sometimes. And whether you're meeting an exec or a coach for the first time, you can introduce yourself. And I always just found it invaluable. And a lot of times, you know, you would have some sit down conversations with people and, you know, whether you were working on trying to gather intel for reporting or things like that, it, it was the best thing. I've, I've always found face-to-face -face conversations to be the best way to build any relationship or friendship 
uh, try to get an interview down the road, anything. Um, you know, you miss being in the locker room with the players because you can't observe things with your own eyes. Um, and sometimes, you know, those would be the best conversations after a win or something. Sometimes, like, there would be a, a large scrum of reporters going into one place, and I would kind of – I'd slowly, like, slip out of the back, and then I'd go over to somebody else and pull them one-on-one and have a chat. Um, I, I miss those a lot. Uh, and I miss – you know what? I miss the people. Like, I don't think a lot of people understand this, but, like, the security people, whether it's at MSG and Barclays and those people, um, they always just uh, were a pleasure to talk to. And – I I miss seeing those people just in general. It, it's just good to see, especially now, given, you know, the way the pandemic is. You just miss those interactions if you're a social person like myself. And, uh, you know, I've met a lot of good people along the way in both those arenas uh, going back and forth that, uh, you know, I still keep in touch with on myself. But, you know, it's it, it's not the same. It And, and look at all the highlights and, and great games we've seen so far. Like the other night, Austin Rivers is going off for the Knicks with 14 points in the fourth quarter. And, and it's just so surreal because you think of the Garden or, or like Kyrie and Durant going off in Barclays, and they should be rocking. I, I think it's such a shame that, um, you know, we're in this point in the world right now where fans can't be there and enjoy it because – or even like when guys are coming back to cities for the first time, like when, uh, you know, Steven Adams went back to OKC and they do like the piping in of the, the crowd noise. It, it It's like it's almost like the Twilight Zone. It's so surreal. I, I definitely miss it a lot, Edgar. No, no doubt about it. Um, does it make it difficult to do my job? Yeah, in some ways it does, because, you know, you're you're more dependent on. uh Instead of maybe just pulling a guy one on one, sometimes you got to work with other people to try to get the guy on the phone or this or that. And it's like sometimes before a game, you just walk up to a guy and you catch him and it works and it's just simple and easier. So I, I could see that. I hope that going forward for journalists and media coverage that we are able to get back in and get our normal access again, because I think it's going to matter for us. But just as importantly, the access for the fans who you know, want to read this stuff, know about sometimes whether there was maybe a locker room blowout or something after the game, a blow up. Um, you know, you're able to pull guys aside and, and really dig in on that stuff. And and I think the fans enjoy it just as much as we do. Mike, the, uh, the Knicks have been killing it since Soul came out. I'm not sure if that has anything to do with their recent streak here, but uh, we have another question in the queue asking about whether or not you think the Knicks are going to make the playoffs this year. I didn't think so coming in, uh, but hey, you know, Tibbs has, I'll say this, if the Knicks by the end of the season were in the play-in tournament or gave themselves a chance for that, I think that's a success for them um, from what I thought coming into the season. Now, with that said, for me, the, the biggest things that matter to me are the development of Mitchell Robinson, Obi Toppin, and Emmanuel Quickly, and, you know, see what you could do with Julius Randle, you know. The way he's going off right now, I almost wondered in the back of my mind, it reminded me a little bit of like Zach Randolph years ago when he was playing so well and then they moved him and got some assets for him. If, if, if you don't view him as part of the long-term future, maybe you try to do that um, and and excel the, the rebuild. But I, I love what I'm seeing from them right now. You know, Tom Thibodeau has always had a knack for getting the most out of his players, whether it was in Chicago Minnesota, you know, people forget Minnesota didn't make the playoffs for over a decade 
And then he came in when Jimmy Butler and they, he got them there and took Towns and Wiggins there. Um, you know, I, I've been impressed thus far with what I've seen from the, the young Knicks. I, but if you're asking me if I think they're going to make them at the end of the season, the playoffs, I'm still not sure on that yet. It's a great start, and it's very encouraging, um, no doubt about it. But yeah, still mean, a lot of season left. I'd be a little premature, I guess, like fans, you know, getting pretty pumped that we're not even through 10 games. But, you know, you got to admit that we haven't had a lot to really be that uh, excited about, especially the last few seasons. Oh, yeah. No, there's no doubt about it. I just think that um, I, I love how hard they're playing. You know, anytime you look at the Knicks, are you playing hard? And that's something that um, – Nick fans thrive on. They love seeing guys go all out. I think they have a lot of those guys. Um, and, again, I, I really thought Tibbs was the best guy out there for if you wanted a coach to win right now. Now, granted, when you look at the Knicks on paper, maybe you thought, eh, it could be more of a developmental team and maybe someone like theoretically Kenny Atkinson would have made sense. But that said, I mean, the guy always gets the most out of his talent and they need to win games in a sense because they got to drive up the value for those guys. And it, like what the Nets did when they got the six seed and they did it with D'Angelo and those guys and then they were able to get Durant and Irving. It's all about showing that you have a sustainable foundation to whether it's free agents down the line or guys that maybe want to get traded out of a place and, and would want to go to your organization. It's all about showing that you have a foundation. And thus far through the first 10 games or so, the New York Knicks have shown that uh, they look like they're on the right track to doing that. Can you talk about um, the importance of the staff that the Knicks hired besides Thibodeau and the guys he brought in, you know, the assistant coaches, the Johnny Bryants, you know, and, and, and guys like, you know, their development team, you know, and seeing the development of, you know, R.J. Barrett and, you know, and quickly now who he was projected to be a second-round pick, but the Knicks surprised everybody picking him in the first round. You know, when you look at guys like like you mentioned, Brian as a coach, coming from a stable organization that's been to the playoffs multiple times, Utah, um, you look at guys that are winning guys. Uh, Coach Payne coming from Kentucky, sustainable program, obviously worked with Julius Randle before Kevin Knox. If anybody's going to try to get the most out of them, uh, it's him. So I, I think that all, you know, their hires have been fine. You know, um, it's all about you look at all the guys they brought in and it's just about sustainability. You know, even even if you look at the front office, you know, Brock Oller, Frank Zinn and those guys, um, they've been around. They've been around teams that have won. You know, you think about Frank, you know, he was with Philly when they had Allen Iverson and then, uh, you know, those Nets teams as well that made it to the playoffs. Um, and then, you know, Brock, obviously, with Cleveland. Uh, these are guys that have won before and they know what it takes. So I, I thought if you combined all of that together, um, it would click. And I and I think one of the things you saw, you, know, you, you touched on Emmanuel quickly and like where he could have been drafted. Um you know, when, when they were making the moves for Ed Davis and, and getting those second-round picks, that those are the type of moves you want to see. Use the cap space to get some future assets and picks and then be able to maybe flip those down the line. Um, the one thing about the draft, if you like a guy, forget. I, I'm never one that's like, oh, well, the mock draft said X, Y, Z, because you got guys that go top 10 sometimes and are busts because they're in the wrong situation. The draft is such a fluid thing. If you feel highly on a guy and you like his makeup and his ability, 
what's the difference if you take a guy that's in maybe a second round pick that you would think, ah, maybe in the thirties and he goes 25. It's not that big a difference, especially in these last few drafts. You know, the margin between those guys is, is so small. It's different than taking a guy, let's say, that's projected for the 20th pick and you take him in the top five. You know, that that's a little different. But once you get past, I would say, even the top 20 picks in a draft, those boards fluctuate so much um, from team to team around the league. And you got to go with your gut and you got to trust your intel and, you know, your scouts and those guys. And obviously, you know, one of the guys they brought in, a guy like uh, an Alex Klein, who has a lot of grassroots connections, which down the line, if they – if the league goes to the high school route where those guys can come in, that's going to matter. Um, all those relationships and, the, and that intel of knowing a guy's character, that, that's half the makeup of a player in the league. A lot of these guys have the talent. Do you have it up here? That's the difference. Mike, we got another question coming in. Actually, this one coming from uh, Joe Cruz. We'll give him a shout-out, too, for his podcast, The Commissioner's Corner, also on the Cruise Control Podcast Network. Um, how do you feel so far about the development of R.J. Barrett in the second season of the NBA? R.J.'s look good so far. I mean, I think for R.J., one, he looks stronger. His physique looks better. I think for him, as long as he continues to develop his shot, work on that three-point shot and the free throws, um, it, it's going to come together for him. I, I remember watching him in high school. And I thought that he was ahead of the game in terms of his mental makeup. Uh, he looked like he could be kind of a point forward when he was playing in, in some of these high school all-star games. Um, I think athletically in the league, it's kind of caught up to him in a sense where he's not going to dominate as much as he did in, in the high school and even at Duke when he was averaging over 20-plus. But um, I think for R.J. Barrett, if this guy becomes an all-star maybe a couple of times, once, twice, or something like that, you know, it'll be a success because I think he has that type of potential in his game. Obviously, there's a lot of X factors and variables that come together. But this season so far, I like what I've seen. I think he's shown an ability to get to the hole better um, and, and finish better. Uh, just got to continue to work on his outside outside three-point shot and at the foul line as well. But he's taking the right steps. and improved, though, Mike. The shot has improved this year. Yeah, no, I'm saying it, it has. I just think, like, you know – to get to, from what I'm saying, to get to that all-star potential, still got a ways to go. But I do like what I've seen thus far in, in year two. There, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, I was going to say, um, my last question, like it's so important with development with the Knicks because, you know, my biggest beef with the Knicks has been, and obviously, you know, I've worked there for so long, it, when I, I worked there for 20 years, is that, who, I'm going to ask you a question, and I know the answer already. Who was the last player drafted by the Knicks that the Knicks actually re-signed? Charlie Ward? That's in the 90s, which is, cr yeah. which is crazy. All those first rounders, they, they traded in their first contract. That just tells you that the development's been bad. And that, that, you know, that's unacceptable, especially if you want to become a, you know, uh, a playoff team every season and you want to, you know, develop, you know, a championship type team. A hundred percent. And then I even, you know, when you mentioned that, I thought of even like Landry Fields and Iman Shumpert, they came in with such pop in the beginning and then it, it just fizzled and they ended up getting moved. And, um, you know, you would like to think that RJ, Mitch, Robinson are going to be guys that are part of that core. Different philosophy now, and 
we'll we'll see if it happens. But I, yeah, I agree with you 100. Um, percent Their development over the years prior to now, like, has has not been where it needs to be at all. And I'm sure they recognize that, obviously, with the turnover in management and whatnot. And and we'll see. But you know, as Bobby touched on, um, you know, with the question from Joe Cruz, you know, you see RJ's development get there. Um, so far in year two, Mitch, Mitch has gotten, uh, look at the guy's shoulders, his physique and, uh, you know, his ability to improve, uh, continuously as a shot blocker, just learning to stay out of foul trouble, learn the game more. You got to remember with a guy like that too, um, you know, missing a year of college ball that, that slows your development. So I, you know, I think they've got all the pieces. I'd like to see OB top and more, um, if he can stay healthy, I'm, I'm intrigued by him. Um, you know, normally I would say when a forward comes into the league, you know, kind of his size and he's a little bit older for his class, I, I wonder about the long-term development, but we've seen in recent drafts, even a guy like Eric Pascal, that was a four-year guy, you know, proved to be a good player. I think that that trend has shifted a little bit too, in terms of the stigma for guys like that, that stay in college ball to an upperclassman level, um, you know, for years, scouts and execs would say like, well, then the more tape you get, the more you could scrutinize on a guy. But at the same time, you also know more what kind of a player you're getting uh, the longer he's in college and, and whatnot. So, you know, but also one last thing, you look at Carl Towns at Kentucky. Guy never really shot threes and comes into the NBA and he's lighting it up from downtown. Sometimes it's, you know, to your point, Edgar, it's about unlocking that potential as a development staff and taking a guy to the next level. 100%. Mike, before we let you go, we wanted to ask you what you're working on, too, for Hoops Hype and uh, USA Today Sports. Sure. So um, recently we just did a story on uh, how players ask to get traded. So, uh, you know, some of the other things I'm working on are how executives and agents use smoke screens out there, whether it's for um, free agency, the draft or trades to, you know, get their messages out there and maybe try to tip the scales on where a guy ends up getting traded. I've been fascinated by a lot of the responses, whether it's execs and agents and, and how they kind of play off of each other sometimes and, and that domino back and forth. Um, so that's definitely one thing you could look forward to. And, uh, you know, it's kind of crazy too. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, Kobe Bryant's anniversary coming up in a year, well, you know, we're working on some things for that as well. Um, so, I mean, that's on a somber note, that's something uh, you can look towards for some content on, on Hoops Hype and USA Today Sports for, for the upcoming month. Well, you're doing a great job, and I appreciate you taking the time with us tonight. First episode here. Uh, my pleasure, fellas. I'm glad I could be part of the My favorite Scott always will be. It's either me or Rosanna on Fox 5, right? That's it. <laughs> I appreciate you, Mike. Thanks, Mike. My pleasure, fellas. Anytime. You have a great night. All right, later. Hey, that was great stuff, man. So great to catch up with Mike Scotto. I mean, again, as you mentioned, someone I would get a chance to speak with quite frequently at Nets and Knicks games and, uh, you know, excited to see what he's putting together uh, for Hoops Hype. Yeah, like I said, you know, I, I, I remember Mike when he was a young pup and to see him grow and writing for all these different platforms, I'm really proud of him because he followed his dream and that's all, that's what it's about. Yeah, I mean, he makes some great points, too, about how, you know, obviously COVID-19, of course, has changed the landscape of sports probably forever. I, I am very curious to see what the media format will be moving forward. You know, even once, uh, I guess, the vaccines, you know, quote unquote, kind of kick in 
and whether or not uh, we will go back to some similar formats. I mean, as you remember, I mean, you're in these locker rooms and the reporters are right on top of players changing and, um, you know, definitely not a, a social distancing kind of environment. And uh, these days, you know, even today, as, as continuing to be a reporter in my profession, uh, getting a chance to be on the Zoom press conference for the Mets announcement that they had acquired Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco, pretty big move for them. Uh, of course, that was done, you know, virtually uh, getting a chance to talk to uh, the GM and the president. And I'm sure it's only a few days away before the Mets will actually introduce the players. And that, too, will be something that'll be virtual and remote. So kind of, um, I guess, the new uh, the new world that we live in these days, even for sports reporters. Yeah, I actually feel like when it does, when we do open up and get to any type of normal again, I definitely feel locker room access will not happen for a, a bunch of years. I feel like it'll be total press conferences where they'll get like three three players a la, a la the NBA finals to talk to per game or something like that instead of the whole team. And I think that's how it's going to go from now on. Press conference style. Yeah, I mean, that right now, that's how the Knicks and the Nets are, are doing things. Again, most of it is, is being done from afar. A lot of the professional teams, of course, are allowing kind of, you know, minimal reporters to be allowed into the arena. But believe it or not, and I, I don't know if our fans at home would know this, even the reporters that have been allowed into the arena, they too have been on the Zoom. So I guess, you know, their access to the arena to see the Knicks and Nets live is more to kind of be involved and in, in being there for the live coverage, maybe do some stand-ups if they do TV or actual live radio hits from the arena, which of course that's different now too because there's no rate, you know, background crowd noise. But uh, all the reporters that are even in the arena, they too are getting on at these uh, these Zooms. So you see them on the MSG network, you know, for the Knicks after the games and the Yes Network for the Nets after the games. So, you know, it's just uh, it's just an entirely different format for everyone. Yeah, I'm just curious. Like you said, I didn't really I, I didn't really pay attention to the fans, like you said, going on press conferences after the games on Zoom. I didn't uh, do the fans get to ask ask questions to the players or are they just watch it. No, they just watch it. I mean, I guess some places have done different things, you know, where they've had, um, you know, so like even, for example, today, the reporters were actually on that Zoom for the Mets press conference, but the fans were able to log into it live on Facebook, um, you know, and and then kind of be there for that. So, you know, again, you know, technology is incredible. I mean, uh, the other night got a chance to cover the, the Heisman. That's something I cover every year here in New York. I mean, that's an event that goes down in Times Square. And, um, you know, reporters love it, too, because they get a chance to do their stand-ups with the Heisman Trophy, get to be there around all these other great Heisman winners. And that, you know, of course, was something that was done remote. And even talking to a lot of the players that were finalists for that, you know, they were remote off-site somewhere. Um, you know, obviously, two of the finalists were from Alabama, so they were kind of uh, together where they were. Uh, but, you know, just, just uh, you know, kind of trying to make adjustments. And um, I think Mike Scotto is in that in that same boat, but doing a great job with the content. I think one thing that we've learned from COVID-19 is that many of us can do our work from home, uh, even if we're not, you know, actually in person for things. Look at, look at us. We never thought we'd do step into the arena together. Yeah, of course, step, step in the arena from home. <laughs> <laughs> Stay home in the house in the arena. Uh, well, you know, we're having a good time here on our first show, again, on the Cruise Control Podcast Network. We wanted to bring in our second guest tonight, Anthony Donahue. Uh, who's, uh, I think, Mr. Nix. Uh, I think that's probably the best nickname for him. Anthony, how's it going? What's going on, Bobby? What's up, Edgar? Uh, Mr. Nix definitely does brother. work. 
my brother, my brother. I'm privileged, honored. This is my guy right here. I, I got a quick story. Quick story. I got to show a quick story. Anthony, I've known. Oh man, I, Anthony will probably remember the day and the time. Well, no, we have. So we so we officially met in the preseason of 2009. I see? knew about. See, I knew about you for a while, and it was weird because around 2009. I already knew a lot of people at the garden. I knew a lot of team employees, security guards, you name it. The the people that cleaned the bathroom, I knew everybody, but I didn't know Edgar personally. So over the years between like 05 and 09, people would say, oh, you know people at the garden, do you know Edgar Burgos? And I'm like, no, I, I never, people would ask me all the time if I knew Edgar. And then one day, Edgar, I'm, I'm during warm-ups, I'm actually right by Spike Lee. Edgar walks up to me, and he was like, who are you? So I said, who are you? And he said, he's Edgar. I said, I'm Anthony. <laughs> and we've been, great, we've been great friends ever since. <laughs> you know, Ant, coming into tonight, I was thinking of a way to try to describe how well the Knicks have played through these first, you know, eight games of the season. And all I could think about is your uh, social media post on Instagram. I was hoping you could maybe give us, you know, oh, after that Knicks victory, what you it know, feels it, like. I'll come for it right now, but, you know, it's a good fist pump, just like after Allen did when he beat Miami in game five of the 1999 first-round series. You know, you know, if you watch Nick games with me and you've seen some good Nick games with me over the years, which unfortunately there hasn't always been a lot, you've seen that fist pump. You've seen that fist pump in real time, and I hope – we see that fist pump a lot more over the next few years with uh, Tom Thibodeau and you know everybody else leading the squad the way we're playing. But it's only eight games. Don't want to start playing the parade just yet, but uh, you should enjoy it. I think one thing I think I've learned so much just from a life standpoint is, like I said, don't plan the parade. You know we're not quite there yet. Enjoy every second of it. Don't don't act like an ass, but enjoy every second of it because life is so precious. And just just enjoy it. Enjoy Austin Rivers threes and Julius Randles, you know, looking like Kenny Anderson out there. Emmanuel quickly looking like Steve Urkel dropping buckets. You know what I'm saying? With the shorts up, like Thibodeau barking. Just enjoy. You know, Nick fans, man, I said you guys, we've been through a lot the last 20 years. We've had our hearts, hearts broke so much. Just enjoy it. Don't worry about who's rooting for the team. Don't worry about you're fake. Just, just enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, it's it's been great to to see how excited you are about the Knicks. I think you kind of speak uh, speak for Knicks Nation in terms of of these wins and how well they've played the last few games. And I know that you're kind of getting back into things right now. This is your second <laughs> yeah. podcast of the day. Uh, both Edgar and I wanted to send out our condolences, of course. Uh, for the passing of your sister. And I was hoping that you could share a little bit about what you've been able to do with the toy drive and also giving back uh, to kids with cancer. <clears throat> yeah. You know, I, th thank you. Of course, Bobby. Thank you, Edgar. Um, you know, G was, she passed away at the age of 21. She was 21 for two weeks. I think it was very important for her to get to 21 and she did drink a beer in the hospital on her 21st birthday, which I, I posted on my Instagram and Twitter and everything. And she was diagnosed with, with a brain cancer back in July of 2010. And it was a really bad brain cancer. It was a brain cancer, you know, a lot of kids or people die from, and she beat it. I mean, she was incredible. She did so much chemo. She had brain surgery. 
She did more chemo after that. She went to, we went to Boston for radiation treatment. I mean, G was so tough, man, where Edgar was there. G was doing radiation treatment in Boston. And just so happens, who did the Celtics play in the first round of the playoffs but the Knicks? And G was so tired doing radiation, man. And <coughs> she came to game one of those playoffs with me in Boston. And, you know, February 2012, uh, they said she was cancer-free. I mean, she fought like a freaking beast, man. Never complained. Did everything she had to do, every appointment, you name it. <coughs> and then um, she was in remission for seven years. You know, there was a few scares here and there with, you know, you find a spot here with an MRI. I mean, when you when you go through something like that, especially so young, if my sister sneezed the wrong way, you know, I'm calling the doctor like, hey, you know, geez, sneezed wrong. Oh, well, let's get her in for an MRI, you know. And then everything was going really good. And then in October 2019, um, the Yankees were in the playoffs. We were playing on a Sunday night. I fell asleep early. And G woke me up at about 3.30 in the morning. But she walked to my bedroom, mind you. She walked to it. And she said, Aunt, I feel funny. Now, mind you, I'm in a deep sleep. I'm just like, okay, like, what do you want me – what do you mean you feel funny? And she's like, can we – like, I just feel weird. I'm like, all right, well, if you feel weird when we wake up, you know, we'll go to the hospital, doctor, whatever. She's like, okay. And she walks back to her room. And then 30 minutes later, she wakes me up again. And she's like, I can't get out of bed. And that's when I, I jumped up and I said, try to get up. And she's like, I can't. I called 911 right away. Paramedics get there. And they're like, we think she's having a stroke. Does she know? Does she do drugs? Does she? I'm like, no. But obviously, the paramedics didn't know about her cancer history. Get her to the hospital. Long story short, I mean, she's in brain surgery by 8 in the morning. I mean, she had a massive stroke, and the and then for the next ten days, we had no idea that there was cancer. Although most of the doctors and professionals had an idea that there was probably more to this stroke, and then you know we find out she had a rare form of cancer called glioblastoma, and they told us flat out, you know, she had nine months to live, and she lived, and we lived every day, and she, she, we fought, we fought it, we fought the disease because there's no giving up, just like. No giving up. And uh, there was a point in December where when she was living in a rehab center in Nourishell, she was doing chemo, radiation, and physical therapy at the same time. At the same time. She never complained. And one story I want to share, especially with, you know, Nick fans watching and basketball fans, it was a few days after. It was about a week after the stroke. And she said, <clears throat> you know, don't worry. I'm going to walk in. Our favorite restaurant, which is Carlos and Yonkers, she said, don't worry. I'm going to walk into Carlos soon, and I'm going to walk at Center Court at the Garden. Well, about a month later, she was able to – we went to the – we were living in the rehab center, living in rehab. And our first night, we were able to go out. We headed over to Tuckahoe Road, and we went to Carlos. And with some help, she walked in. And then a few days later, on a Sunday afternoon, a Nick Celtic game – um, we went to the game, and of course, the Knicks organization was absolutely wonderful, like they always they've always been over the last ten years. And me, my friend Jason Negron, you know, Edgar knows Jason. Um, we we wheeled her out to center, so we, we wheeled her to the three point line. Mike Green was there, Walt Frazier was there. I did not, I didn't get this on video because I was so nervous, man. But even though I knew she was so determined, and she got a wheelchair at the three point line, and with her cane, and you know, me holding her arm. She walked to center court. 
She said she was going to do it, and she did. And, you know, we just lived every day. And, you know, I'm 99.9% .9 sure she knew how bad it was. We chose not to talk about it. We chose to live and enjoy every second. And that's why I talk about the Knicks even being good. Just enjoy it. Enjoy life because, you know, you don't, you don't know. And, you know, it's tough. Every second is tough. And today is actually my third Knicks interview today. And I haven't done one in a year. I've done three today now. And every one I've shed a tear on. And it's, it's you know, and that's okay. It's okay. And uh, I do it for her. And I know that, especially with the Knicks playing well, if she knew that I wasn't on my grind, no, maybe I'm not doing as much as I, I've usually done in the past. But if she knew I wasn't on my grind, she'd be very upset. She'd be very upset. So it's it's important for me to start coming on these shows, talking about the Knicks and, you know, sharing out our story. And she was so tough, man. She would make – I know she made a lot of the 90s Knicks proud. You know, those guys are very – you know, especially Allen Houston. You know, there was many – Allen Houston came to the hospital. There was many nights where, you know, Allen, I was on the phone with Allen praying. There was nights where I've never shared this publicly, but where Allen took me into back rooms in the garden and we held hands and we prayed. And Alan prayed, and you know she fought, man. And on, on Thursday, June 18th, they told they brought me into a room, and they said, you know, she probably has about a week to go. And these are the best doctors in the world. They're Presbyterian Children's Hospital, you know. And G ended up living two and a half more months, and that's fight. That's fight. That's, she, that's that's fight, man. She wasn't ready. She wasn't ready. And you know, she she lived a very short life, but she lived a very full life. And I think. We, we can all learn from G, man. We all go through stuff. And this kid never complained. I mean, she never complained, like I said, in December doing chemo, radiation, and physical therapy at the same time. And it was, what's for dinner? What's for dinner? What, 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 what Can you get me a bagel for breakfast? You know? And I think we all we all should live like that more, including myself. We, we all got to live like that. Yeah. We definitely appreciate you sharing that. No, thank you for letting me share it. The importance of like what nobody talks about is, uh, you know, me and you, we always battle about the Knicks and and you know when they're good and bad and stuff. <laughs> of like course, that. of course, of course. Like, tell me to always calm down just a little yeah, bit. <laughs> talking about, like Knicks behind the scenes and what they did for you, for you and your family, and as, as a Nick organization. Yeah, no, they, they were incredible. I mean, Steve Mills, he would call me once a week to check in. Uh, Alan would come by the hospital. They'd always send gear and stuff like that. And, you know, especially Alan Houston, man. Um, Alan Houston was one of my heroes growing up. And you never imagine you're going to become, you know, even meet one of your heroes. And Alan has become, you know, a really good friend over the last 15 years. And, you know, just being on the phone with him so much. There was times after games, I'd be on my way home. He'd be on his way home. He would call me and, you know, he would pray on the phone. And one of the last, on June 18th, the infamous day where they said they were stopping treatment, you know, I was on the phone with Alan and he did a long prayer. And I don't, I don't remember 95% of it, but I remember when Alan said on the I was outside the hospital. I walked out to call Alan and Alan basically said, you know, God, if, you know, when you take, when you take her, just make sure it's, you know, painless and peaceful. And, you know, two and a half months later it was. And, you know, on her birthday, the, the Nick sent stuff and they, John Starks, Larry Johnson, um, and Alan made a really nice video. I got, the you know, a jersey autographed by the whole team that they gave to her. And in my living room, I got the framed jersey with her number one and Gianna on it. So 
the organization was always just incredible and so supportive. And, you know, when she came to the games for her whole life, they, they were always amazing. You know, she never paid for any food there. She had, you know, VIP treatment, you know, so um, she's, she's an inspiration to, you know, she's my inspiration. And I know she inspired so many Knicks fans and just people around the world. You know, when you have an attitude like that and she had every right to complain every day and she didn't. What's for lunch? What's for dinner? You know, can we, can we go to the mall? Those, you know, those few months she was able to leave and do stuff, you know, can we go, can we go do something? But why, why talk about it? Why, 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 why waste time talking about, you know, I might not make it when you're here now and you can just enjoy it. Anthony, I mean, obviously this season, of course, I guess, especially in the early part of this, been very difficult for you uh, still dealing with her loss. Uh, but, you know, again, there's been some great moments for you, and I know that your sister would, would be very happy to see that you're happy uh, that the Knicks are playing so well. I guess if you had one wish for this team this season, aside from winning it all, yeah. <laughs> what would that be? Just play – you know, it's been a rough – this is this isn't exactly groundbreaking stuff. It's been a rough go for Nick fans the last twenty something years. Twenty years. Give me at this point. Give me games that matter at the end of the season. Obviously, I want to make the playoffs. Obviously, I want to go back to the Garden. Obviously, I I want to play in the conference finals. But we haven't been to the conference finals in twenty one years now. It's been a while. So, give me games that matter. Like I, I'm not talking. I'm not. Talking conference finals right now. If we get there, we get there. I'll be there. You know, I'll be root my ass off. Give me games that matter. Give me a reason to say I need to be home to watch the Knicks tonight. You know, not in past years where obviously as a diehard fan, you're going to watch because you love this team. You know, when you're, you know, 18 and 40 or, you know, 17 and 52, and, you know, someone invites you to dinner, you're probably going to go to dinner. I can miss a game. Make it so I have to be home to watch every game. And right now, eight games in, it's what, what they're doing. Can you quantify what, how many wins you think Tibbs makes in terms of impact for this team? Like, you know, again, the hardest part in terms, I think, of predictions and prognosticating where the Knicks would be this year. I think a lot of, you know, even Mark Berman from the Post had the Knicks winning like 30 games. I yeah, kind of felt yeah. they would be in that same kind of place. Um, I guess I'm well, the first thing is, Bobby, you got to make me do math now because my whole life I'm doing 82, you know, with the exception of the lockouts, lockouts in 99 and um, 2011. No, a 77. What's half of 72? 35, 37. 37. Yeah, 37. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, nobody, there's no, there's no math experts in the, on this show. 36. I think like if you can if you can be around 500 a few games over 500 and like I said give us games that matter towards the end give us give like I said give us a reason like I said we're gonna watch regardless because we love this freaking team we're gonna watch if we're on an 18 game losing streak but give us a real reason that we have to watch every night you know give give us that we you know forget my personal stuff we've all been through a lot the last year we love our Knicks. Give us reason to give, give us a real. We're gonna love our Knicks regardless, but give us reason that we must watch every single night. Okay. Well, the funny thing is, see how Ann's talking. Ann is being real calm right now. But like, <laughs> talk to him on the side. He's a he's a maniac. I haven't <laughs> seen him this excited since the Knicks won fifty four games. 
with Melo that year. I, I, yeah. still, I still have nightmares of Roy Hibbert. That team, well, I, I'm, you know, even to this day, you know me, I love it, love me some J.R. Smith because I have a relationship with him, but I still kind of blame him a little bit for what happened. He shot, he shot, J.R. shot two for 90 versus the Pacers. Yeah, he gets blamed for that series. So, J.R. was terrible. Yeah, so, but besides that, you know, I feel like, like with Tibbs, as long as they, like, you, you're right, as long as they can compete and you yep. see, um, you know, better play and better development by, you know, Julius Randle, Quigley, you know, R.J. Barrett, you know, and the uh, the other guys, the Austin Rivers, who yep. honestly without the MVP coming in just first couple of games coming in and what he did last night. Yeah, yeah. Well, last night was like some some video game, you know, at the park. So four threes in the last – I mean, you never see that. That was crazy what he did at the end of that game last night. Yeah. So, well, one of the that things was that wild. We, uh, that was well, wild, guys. One of the things that we talked about earlier was the Knicks are playing five and three, and obviously they have no fans right now. As long, pretty much the whole league has no fans right now. Right. How much do you think? What would their record be right now if they there were fans in that arena? It's so tough to to tell because as as great as the Garden is when the Knicks are great. I think the Knicks have a little bit of an advantage with no fans, believe it or not, because yes, the away team, and here's why, because the away team, when they take the court, they don't see Spike Lee. They don't see the models. They don't see the guy that runs Kit. You know, they don't see, you know, Edgar Burgos. They don't see me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they don't, they, you know, they, they don't see Bobby C like, yo, can I get an interview real quick? You know? So I think that helps the Knicks a little bit. I'm not saying the way he doesn't want to play hard, but I think, you know, because teams, even if the Knicks are horrible, teams come in here and, you know, the eighth man wants to show out because he sees Spike there. Oh, there's Larry David in the front row, Ben Stiller. The list goes on. You know, this doesn't happen in Cleveland or, you know, San Antonio or even Chicago. It doesn't happen. New York and L.A. So I think it kind of helps the Knicks a little bit where I'm not saying you're not going to get efforts from the away team, but you're not going to get that like, yo, I, I, I got to have 30 tonight and like, you know, give my best game. So I think, I think it may help the Knicks a little bit, but the Knicks are playing great basketball. So I, that said, to answer your question, I, I still think we're five and three. I still think we're five and three, but, you know, there could be a little advantage of, you know, the garden not having its ambiance as great as that ambiance is, if that makes any sense. That makes sense. All right, and I got I got a good question for you since I know sure. you have a definite allegiance to uh, Latrell Sprewell. But if you had to take after this performance by Rivers, especially in the fourth quarter with those fourteen points and like you said, all the threes, give me the greatest uh, number eight uniform in recent Knicks history. Are you taking Latrell Sprewell? My uh. Beasley, J.R. Smith, or Austin Rivers? I mean, the, the greatest number eight performance, I would go with probably – maybe we lost that game. I would say with Charles Sprewell in game five of the 99 finals, but we lost that game. Um, you know, J.R. had the greatest – I'm trying to think of some big games by the street. 
I mean, he had 49 versus the Celtics in December of 01, but we lost that game because he missed a free throw. And then Antoine Walker hits a three right after and does the shimmy. Are you kidding me? Um, the greatest number eight for him. Michael Beasley versus the Celtics, December 2017 was epic. Um, JR had, had some big games. It's tough. It's, it's tough. It, I, I don't have an exact performance. Obviously. Yeah, obviously very early in the season, but I think definitely that Rivers has totally well, – no, he, Okay, so here's the thing. What Rivers did last night – Rivers did last night, those last six minutes, we may never see again. Someone coming down and popping four threes to end the game, that, that's that's pretty unique. So that actually may be it because, yeah, Spree's better than Austin Rivers. Maybe J.R. Smith is a better player as well. We may never see a guy ever again just come down and hit four threes in a row – to end a basketball game like that, that, that it, probably that's it. That, that's it. It totally segues to Anthony because now you got this big marquee matchup coming up between the Knicks and the Nets on Wednesday night. Oh, it's gonna be huge! It's gonna be huge, man! It's gonna be at the garden. I'm, I might have a party of about three people in my living room for it. Cuomo is gonna be watching you, my friend. No, I would, no, I would no that's against. Out. That's totally within the the rules. It's ten. I can have three people over. I've been very responsible since March. I can totally have three or four people over, get some food. That's totally okay. Good I'm stuff, man. Yeah, I'm definitely, definitely excited to see the outcome of that game, especially, you know, Edgar and I were talking before because the Nets, of course, they win tonight. Big win for them yep. over the Sixers without their star players, you know, knock off a 7-1 and one team, and now they're back above 500, and the Knicks, of course, above 500. I, I definitely yep. think – I said it at the start of the show. I was kind of making fun, but I think the world is definitely ending. I think we're, it's kind of – it's eminent. It, this is the uh, the end of the world. Yeah, Knicks and Nets, we've never – we've seen them both be good. Of, like the 2012-2013 season, they were both very good. You know, in the in the mid – the early 90s for a little bit, the Nets from like 91 to 94 were pretty solid. But then I guess the late 90s, the Nets were good for a year. They made the playoffs with John Kalfari that one season with Sam in 98. They were the eighth seed. But it's very rare. They're both good at the same time. I thought I thought there was a nice rivalry in the 2012-2013 season. I definitely thought there was. But it would be cool. To, I mean, I, I, I don't like the Nets, but it would be cool to see both teams really matter towards the end of the season. You know, 2004, we played them in the playoffs, got swept. 1994, we beat them in four games, you know, three to one in that first round series. So it would be cool to see them both be good at the same time. I can't lie. That would be a lot of fun. I laughed. I saw a meme today that said, you know, the world is going through it. Uh, the United States is going through anarchy and the Knicks are finally over 500. So I know. <laughs> I know. And we, and we can't even get in the building. <laughs> Which is hilarious. You know, and were you offended by the fact that the Knicks were mocked in this uh, this new Pixar movie, uh, Soul? Because, again, ever since, the Knicks have no, been good. No, because I, I'll say this. I, obviously, I don't have to say this. I love the Knicks. You know, the Knicks are everything to me. But, you know, the Knicks, we, 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 you know, there's been a lot of things that have gone wrong the last 20 years. So I, I get it. I, I'm, not, I'm not losing any sleep because the Knicks got made fun of in a cartoon movie. You know, well, I think, seems you know, to inspire them. Yeah, I, I would think that too. I a lot of these players are much younger than me now, so they're probably into it. You know, they're probably like, "Oh, we gotta play good because of this Pixar thing." You know, like I'm, 
I'm not really watching this stuff. I'm, I just got done watching a new episode of Law and Order SVU, so I'm, that's, I'm pumped about that. And I, I do want to, you know, last question for me is um, I want to talk about the Orange and Blue crew. Uh, obviously, yeah. you haven't done it you this oh. season. I, I know that, you that it. would be violating COVID rules now. That would, yeah. that so would can, be violating can the you, rules. Can you tell me the um, – one, how much you miss it, and two, what's the Orange and Blue game, and why did you start it? Well, the Orange and Blue crew, um, I miss it like crazy. Um, I've always been doing events with Nick fans going back about – I think the first Nick fan gathering I did was about 2009 during the, when Al Harrington was getting a bunch of buckets for us. And I always did things at bars. And then one day I was chatting with uh, you know Chris Jean, one of our good friends, and we talked about you know taking us to the next step, you know, doing events at the garden. So I started doing events where I was bringing fans to games and with my connections with the organization, we were able to, you know, incorporate things, giving fans an experience they couldn't get anywhere else, such as going into shoot around, you know, getting a post game photo on the court. Maybe um, I get Larry Johnson to come over and talk to some fans, take some photos, Alan Houston, guys like that, do, do some real different things. And we started doing things with playing, playing games on the court, have some celebrity coaches, I've had Spreewell there. I've had JPS Fab, Jerry Ferrara come through. Um, it, it gives fans experiences they never thought they could ever have. And we expanded where we had a we had an event out in LA for a Knicks Clippers game. We had an event for a Knicks Celtics game in Boston. Um, bought the, the Celtics and the Clippers organizations were both wonderful to deal with. So I miss it so much, man. And, and it's going to be tough when it gets back because you know back to my sister G, she was looking for all those events. Uh, everybody's tickets like she wrote their names you know she was there giving people their tickets and being my sidekick so it's gonna be tough when um it's back but i'll, I'll definitely be pushing forward and you now i'm not an expert on what's going on in the world so hopefully in the fall you know we're back to normal we're hugging people kissing babies you know whatever and hopefully uh you know we, we're seeing everybody's face again I, I know again i can't predict it i hope it's by the i hope it's tomorrow but i know it's not gonna be tomorrow but you know Hopefully sooner than that. I miss it so much, man, because it's such a camaraderie. The Nick fan community, man, it, it's amazing. So I miss it like crazy. And as, as, as broke as my heart is, my heart would still be completely broken. But how much better would it be if I was if I had a Nick game to go to tomorrow? Like, yeah, I'll be at the crib watching tomorrow, you know, waving my towel at home. Let's go. But, you know, if I was going to the game like I normally would, you know, life would be a tad bit easier. You know, I beg for someone to text me right now. Yo, Ant, could you figure out a way to get me some tickets? Shit, at this point, I get 20 people free tickets. I don't know how, but I'll do it. I just, I just want life back. I'm going crazy. 100%. And before we let you go, I guess this would be a good place. I know our math is all terrible, but let's say oh, the Knicks right. win, win 36, hey, 37 hey, the, games. The three of us ain't managing nobody's money. <laughs> they win 36, 37. They don't make the playoffs. We've already heard your insight about the fact that you do not like the Brooklyn Nets. But let's say, you know, Knicks don't make the playoffs, maybe just miss the playoffs. Nets make the playoffs. As a New Yorker, are you rooting for Brooklyn in the playoffs? No. <laughs> no. Like, I, I didn't hate, like, the New Jersey Nets if they were in the playoffs. I didn't love them. But, no, absolutely not. No. Now, here's the thing. I wouldn't be like – I wouldn't like be cheering for the other team. I just I would not root for them. I'm not like one of these like you know like like Met fans that 
hate the Yankees so much it takes over their bodies. Like I'm not, I don't like the Nets. I wouldn't root for them, but I'm not going to. If the Nets are playing, you know, the Raptors in the playoffs, I'm not going to deck that out in a Kyle Lowry jersey. I'll just, you know, I hope they lose. You know, but that's fair. Coming into here at the bottom. And you're telling me if the if the Nets made the finals, you would not root for the Nets? No. Are you crazy? Okay, I'm just asking. I'm just asking. No. 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 The only team. So the only team out. So I guess like when you. So I gotta say this, and we all work in the in the sports world now. So when you there's got I know a lot of guys, but how many guys are you friends with? You know, like we all know people. How many? So like. No, I, over the years, I, the one team I think I would maybe root for if they were is uh, you know, you know, Karan Butler, who I've become very close with the last like over the years. He's an assistant with Miami, so I guess I could root for them if they're in the playoffs. I'm not gonna like wear a Heat shirt. I still, I always hate the Heat, but you know, um, but you know, I'm not, I would never root for the Nets. I would root for the someone's. I would root for the Nets over Boston. I don't. I don't think I hate Boston. I don't know. I I couldn't know because the Celtics have won eighty five championships. Give them eighty six at this point. I I couldn't. I'm rooting for the Celtics well, over the Nets. I'm gonna root for the Nets. I'm call, I'm putting it out there. They make it to the finals. So I I'm hate the Celtics. So here's the thing. I hate the Celtics more than I hate the Nets. But I can't have the Nets win a championship before the Knicks. Right. You feel me? If LeBron. But if LeBron makes it to the finals, I am rooting for him to get his fifth ring. I'm saying it now. That's fine. Yeah, I, there's no, yeah, that's fine. There's nobody I really like hate or anything. You know, I would love to. Yeah, there's nobody I hate. You know, I, just, I can't deal. I couldn't deal with the next championship. That would that would be tough. That would be tough. And I definitely appreciate you taking the time. And again, such an inspiring message this evening. And thank very you, excited you. Uh, for you and the Knicks this year. I hope it ends up being as good a year as it looks like it's going to be. Thank you guys for having me. Shout out to Randy Cruz, you, the, the man behind the, the ramp, the man behind the scenes, and hope we'll be out with you guys again soon, man. Great chat with you all. Thank you. Man, you know your brother and I love you. Love you too, guys. Peace. Peace out. Right, well, Ed, I guess uh, closing thoughts. You know, we wanted to thank our two guests tonight. You know, our very first episode of Step in the Arena again, a brand new podcast right here on the Cruise Control Podcast Network, and we wanted to thank. Mike Scotto of Hoops Hype, USA Today Sports. And, of course, you just heard from Anthony Donahue, 33rd and 7th podcast, and the Orange and Blue crew. Closing thoughts, Ed? No, nah, you know, it's, like I said, it's been a privilege. You know, we, you know, we, me and you have dealt with each other for, you know, since the summer ball days. So it's, it's, I'm glad we were able to uh, reconnect and uh, step into the arena. Nah, definitely very cool to be here with you tonight. It gave us something to uh, look forward to here during the uh, the pandemic. And hopefully, uh, you know, again, for everybody at home, you know, we make some jokes, but uh, we're definitely excited about the prospects of things, you know, being on the up and up, you know, onward and upward here in 2021. And we send out, you know, all the love to all of our first responders and everyone that uh, that is dealing with uh, this crisis around the world. And it's not just, of course, you know, COVID-19, it's everything else that we uh, kind of touched upon too, whether it's, you know, these uh, remarkable things that are going on uh, in, in DC with uh, politics and such, uh, just a lot of uh, strife in the world. And we, we send our best out to everyone. And we thank you for uh, tuning in tonight uh, for our first episode of Step in the Arena. Yeah, we appreciate it. And you definitely could, you know, 
uh, follow us on Twitter. And uh, you know, if you didn't catch the live episode, you could catch us. You know, I'm pretty sure Randy will put it up. And, uh, you know, on to next week and hopefully uh, more special guests. And I'm going to get you some Hoops in the Sun gear or maybe, uh, you know, Ball is Life will hook us up with some uh, some swag. No, bro, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. If I don't get a Hoops in the Sun sweater this year, major problems. But that's it. <laughs> Thanks, man, for joining us tonight. We'll see you next time on the show. All right. Later.